0: Welcome back to Graceway, D.C., a weekly podcast bringing you sermons from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church of Washington, D.C. For this week's sermon, Pastor Brad continues in his miniseries on the tabernacle. Last week, we studied the brazen altar. Today's focus is the brazen laver, a bronze basin used for washing and purification before entering the tabernacle. Today, we'll take a close look at the labor and purification. Let's join Pastor Brad as he opens the Word.
1: Hey, take your Bibles, if you would, with me, and let's go to Exodus 30. Thank you, everyone, for coming. I am glad you're here. Exodus 30, I've got a great message to give you. I'm excited about it. And we have been studying uh, the great book of Exodus And the theme of Exodus is deliverance. God wants to deliver his people and God wants to deliver you. And the way that deliverance takes place is you follow God. You'll never be delivered until you start following God and you follow God to freedom. As a matter of fact, following God is a measurement of your freedom. You can tell how much freedom you have by how close you are to God. Your proximity to God determines the amount of freedom that you have in God. There are three main themes to Exodus. The first one is the exit or the escape from the oppressive nation. Um, It happened to be Egypt oppressing Israel. But there's some element oppressing you, oppressing me, that you need to, number one, escape from. And that's this magnificent picture of uh, that Red Sea crossing. And it was miraculous I believe it just the way it's written, they crossed on dry ground. I, I don't know what those walls look like, those water walls, but they went across and God blessed them and God wants to do a miracle in your life and you're going to have to believe him for it. You're going to have to trust him and God will lead you across uh, into freedom. The second element or the second major section of uh, the book of Exodus is the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And God wants his people, this fledgling nation of Israel, to look and govern themselves by God's rules, not what they're comfortable with, not the way their daddy raised them or grandfather said this is okay or this is the way we do it or this is us. No, no, no. God has a plan and God gets to make that plan because uh, he's the creator and the designer. Now, our third element is where we're at here this fall, and that is this old tent in the desert. That is so much more than an old tent in the desert. This is the tabernacle and it is the pattern of the things that God wants to be doing. And we saw that God said to his people, make me a sanctuary. The tabernacle, which is the tent, which later will become the temple, is saying, make me a sacred place that is both separate separated and elevated from the other common things. I want a special place. Make me a sanctuary. And then God begins to describe all the elements. Now, the interesting thing is this sanctuary, God doesn't say, yeah, just do it your way and I'll meet you there. God says, I want it done exactly like this. And it's prescribed in specific detail. As a matter of so much detail that this tabernacle takes Fifty chapters of the Bible to to detail, and the first element was uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which really is a golden box. And this golden box was was holding promises. Actually, the big thing isn't the box; it's what's inside the box, and that box held the covenant or the testimony or the promises of God. Everything relies and hinges upon the promises of God. The second thing was the lid of this box, or the Ark of the Covenant, which is called the mercy seat. Upon that mercy seat is the blood of, of the sacrificial bulls and goats that were, that were slain every year. And that blood covers the, the promises that God made to his people. In other words, we can never enter into the promises of God without the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. Then we saw the table of showbread, which is a table, a golden table that shows the bread. The bread is the provision of God. And there were 12 loaves of bread laid out there uh, corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, God will take care of of you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will take care of you. God will take care of you if you trust him. That's right. Right across from the uh, the table of showbread, which actually was on the north side of the tent, the tent uh, went from east where the door was to west. The north side had the table of showbread. On the south side had the golden menor- menorah or the um, the golden candlestick that had the The uh, seven lamps, uh, olive oil lamps on top, and those were to be kept trimmed and neat. They weren't allowed to uh, smoke or uh, gather any insects. And and the priests were to keep that oil pure and perfect. It was to burn clean and bright and illuminate that area. Then um, we talked about the veil, which is both the separation uh, from the holiest things and the doorway Then last week we talked about right at the door of the tabernacle was the brazen uh, altar of sacrifice, and it's a picture of the cross where the Messiah would pay the penalty for our sin. Now today we are talking about the brazen laver, which is the subject of Messiah, our purification, and it's not talking about salvation, but rather sanctification, And sanctification is the step right after salvation. Salvation is getting right with God. Sanctification is staying right with God. So we are, hopefully, in Exodus chapter number 30. We're going to begin reading in verse number 17 down through 21. And here we go. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, They shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations." This is the beautiful picture of our purification that God gave 3,500 years ago uh, by, by picture, by an image, a shadowy image. Now, don't be thrown off by the name. It's called a brazen laver. What in the world is a laver? Well, the word lave is actually a modern word, and it means to wash. That's why we often call the bathroom the lavatory it's a place that you wash the washroom and this laver is simply a great big brass sink or a wash basin specifically to wash the hands and the feet of the priests that's what this is all about now it's interesting there were no measurements given for this particular piece of furniture and I think that is worth noting because it is symbolic of the limitless cleansing power of the Word of God. Now, maybe you've gotten right with God and gotten cleaned up and whew, you enjoy that clean feeling and there's nothing like when you've, when you've taken a shower or a bath and, man, you, feel, you just feel good. And uh, boy, you can feel that way spiritually. You can feel that way morally. You say, well, I messed up again. There's more water. There's more cleaning power from the Lord. Now, remember, all of the Bible is a picture of Jesus Christ. Remember the road to Emmaus, Jesus told those disciples, all the scripture, well, both Old and New Testament, is about me. And we need to remember that. Now, I'd like to pray one more time, and then we'll get right into the description of this very specific and practical teaching for our life. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Father, we ask that your word would be opened unto us. Father, that our mind and our heart could understand what you're saying. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get off track or make too much of a little thing or too little of a big thing. But we would follow the pattern and we would see you. We'd see your word in this great symbol. Lord, I pray that you'd bless everyone. And Lord, you would meet us where we're at and help us with our specific needs. Pray for the young people and their attention. Pray that they could sit still and learn. Lord, help me as a, a preacher and a presenter of truth. Lord, that I would be true and I would be able to hold people's attention and i ask this in jesus name amen amen and amen well the first thing that you'll notice thou shalt make a laver of brass this is uh the the element that it it is made of and the what i think i don't know if you think like me but where in the world did they get all of this brass i mean they're slaves fresh out of egypt and and they don't really know what they're doing they're in a desert they're probably living hand to mouth. They don't have a lot of stuff and they're traveling and now they're camped there at, at Sinai and, and Moses is getting these instructions. Where did they get the brass? Well, it's interesting. There is a giant copper mine named Timnah, not very far away. And various nations were harvesting vast amounts of, of copper from the Valley of Timna and this copper mine, it's still there today. Deborah and I went and saw that about a year and a half ago. And uh, Luke, when you went, did you go to Timna and see the? Co- you didn't. You didn't see that. I was talking to Cameron, and Cameron was working there in the embassy for three years, and he went numerous times uh, to Timna and took different groups, and he said they actually picked up a piece of very rich copper ore just off the ground. It's just right there and picked it up. So that's really cool and all, but that's not where they got the brass. Look at Exodus 38 and verse number eight and note that in your Bible, Exodus 38 and verse number eight. And it says this, it says where they got this brass. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation they actually have numerous ancient looking glasses that are made of brass there are several here on the hill well not on the hill on the on the mall uh, at the museums ancient looking glasses from egypt and they're right there they're made of brass some of them have silver on the front for the reflective element, and they're made of a looking glass. What is a looking glass for? It's for the reflection, to see yourself. This is not a a modern thing. So this is where he got it. It's a reflective mirror. And the Bible speaks directly about a mirror. James chapter 1 and verse number 22 talks about not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. James 1 and verse number 22, but be, say it with me, doers of the word and not hearers only. And if you're just hearing the word and not doing it, what does the Bible say about you? Deceiving your own selves. That would be like getting up and looking at the mirror, getting ready to start your day, and you're trying to get yourself ready, and there you are, and you see yourself, but you don't do anything about it. You're like, whoa, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look right. But you don't do anything about it. See, the reflection is to create some action. And you want to do this or do that. And you're like, what's going on here? So uh, it, it's very important that the brass of the of the Scripture speaks specifically in the Bible of judgment. Brass in the Bible speaks of judgment. And these looking glasses, these mirrors, speak of reflection. I need to see what I look like And the speaking of the word. Okay, so we're not to be just a hearer, but a doer. Look at verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. By the way, do you know it's a, it's a weird phenomenon? You can remember what... A picture looks like, or a painting looks like, or your friend's face, or your dad's face, or, you know, whoever. But you will struggle to remember what your own face looks like. As a matter of fact, I look at my face, I'm like, are you serious? That's what I look like? <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing. Look at verse number 24. For he beholdeth himself, and, st- and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, you're looking, but you're deceiving yourself and you're forgetting what you really look like. And that's a very common phenomena with people. We evaluate, we get the reflection, but we don't do anything about it. So God is asking us to do something about it. See, the laver symbolizes the word of God in two ways. Number one, it symbolizes the Word of God as a reflective piece. When you read the Bible, you get a good look at yourself, but it also has brass, which is judgment. So you don't just see yourself the way you want to see yourself. You see yourself the way God sees you, which is why a lot of people don't like to read the Bible, because... They see themselves, and they see themselves under judgment, under condemnation, the way God sees them. It symbolizes the Word of God. See, made of brass mirrors speaks of this reflection and judgment. When I open the Bible, I see myself, and I see myself as judged there in the mirror. That's what I've got to do. That's what every one of us did this morning. You looked at the mirror and you saw your reflection and then you made a judgment. You're like, that's not supposed to be there. I need a little bit of help moving that over there. And um, you moved your hair around with a brush or a comb or something. And then you sprayed or put some gel on there to hold that in place or whatever you did. I don't know. And, um, And that's what you need to do. We need to look into the word, see our reflection and make a judgment call. It symbolizes the word of God and tells me that I'm under condemnation. Now, look back at Exodus 30. Look at verse number 18. Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt do what? Put water therein. So, the laver symbolizes brass and judgment but also has reflective qualities and powers um, so that I can see and I can make a judgment call. But really, the main thing, the main thing is to wash and get clean. That's what it's all about. It's talking about how the Word of God cleanses us and purifies us. Ephesians 5, verse number 26 and 27 says this, that he might sanctify speaking of the church and cleanse the church with and say with me the washing of the water by the word see this brazen labor or this great big sink that's made of brass is primarily to sanctify and clean it's to get clean by the washing of the water by the word this physical thing is a picture of the eternal thing Look at verse twenty seven. It says that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Gun doesn't want the church dirty and condemned by the world. Gun doesn't want the church uh, just um, all sooty and, and 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 dusty. A glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what God wants you to be. That's what God wants me to be. Now, this this place of, of working for the Lord is called a sanctuary. And in that sanctuary, you were to serve the Lord. That's where we get that element of a church service. We're serving the Lord. It comes back from this. But in those days, before the perfect Lamb of God died, every day they would kill Another lamb, a physical lamb. And of course, that's a messy thing. There's blood and there's dirt and all these things. And these priests had to get clean and they had to stay clean. See, and I want you to write this down if you can. The Word of God is to my spirit what water is to my body. One more time. The Word of God is to my spirit what water is to my body. And in this world, we are going to get dirty. In this this world, we're we're gonna fall into a mess and we need something to help us to get us cleaned up. The water of the word is the secret. Let me give you a couple more verses, jot these down. John 15 and verse number three. It says, now ye are, what, clean. How can I get clean? Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And that's uh, Jesus going on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. How can I get clean? Through the word which the Lord Jesus spoke. In John 17, sanctify them through through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, the Bible is like a mirror, but it's a mirror made of brass, symbolizing Reflective qualities. I can see myself, but I see myself as God sees me. And it has cleaning properties, just like water. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah spoke of God's thoughts are much higher than man's thoughts. In Isaiah 55, he says, God's thoughts are higher than man's thoughts. And the heavens are higher than the earth in verse number nine. So are his thoughts and his ways above uh, humanity's. And then it says in verse number 10, as the rain cometh down, he's comparing rain to God's thoughts and God's words. It's like rain that and snow from heaven and it comes down, it waters the earth. And it brings forth plants and buds and and it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God does these things. And and in verse number 11, and it's an amazing thing. So shall my what? Word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. God's word is like rain coming down that gets the job done. See, the real question is, are you in the word? Now, last week I said, the Bible is not just information and to help us intellectually. The Bible is so much more than that. In the lesson today of about the brazen labor, it is about a reflection that I can see. I can finally get a good look at myself, the way God sees it. And then it's it's brass in the the element of judgment. I see myself the way God sees me. And then there's the water that cleanses. See, mirrors that reveal, brass that condemns, and water that cleanses. Are you clean today? Have you been purified? Has your soul gotten rid of the pollutants that are in this world, this brass laver? has the sanctifying power of the word of God. So these are the materials. Now, let's move along to the placement. Now, this is interesting. Look in verse number 19. And elbow your neighbor, say, hey, pay attention. This is important. Verse number 19. For Aaron and his sons shall, shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Most everybody believes there were two basins. The Bible doesn't say that directly, and I don't really know, so I don't want to make a big deal about it. Here's what we do know. The priests had to wash their hands and their feet. Um, It also describes they're supposed to wash their right hand first, and then their right foot first, and then their left hand and their left foot. So God was very, very direct and very specific about how this cleansing was to take place. But Notice uh, in verse number 20, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. When they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So verse number 21, they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. I think my mom actually quoted that verse to me. About coming to the table, you will wash your hands so you don't die. And I wasn't afraid of germs; I was afraid of mom. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> but uh, this is what this is all about. How many of you had parents that were on your case about washing your hands? About, yeah, sure. God is saying, "I want the people that work for me to be clean." It's very important. Isaiah fifty-two: "Be ye clean." that bear the vessels of the Lord. It's talking about the priests. It's very, very important. Now, the altar comes first, the brazen altar, and it speaks of reconciliation with God. It speaks of salvation or pardon payment. The laver, it comes next, and it doesn't speak of salvation. It speaks of sanctification, which is purification, which is being clean and staying clean. See, salvation is at the beginning, and it's getting right with God. Then comes the brazen laver, and it is continuing or staying right with God. I had the privilege of performing a a wedding in Virginia a few years back, and the nervous groom uh, just sort of whispered to me, kind of joking, uh, are we done yet? Is it over yet, pastor? And I looked over to him, and I said, It's just beginning. It's just beginning. And that's the truth. Um, When you come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not over. It's just beginning. You're just beginning your spiritual walk with God. He wants to use you. He's got so much that he wants you to do or rather to do through you. But if you don't stay clean, those terrifying verses there, Verse number 19, you're going to wash your hands and your feet that ye die not. You know, there's a lot of ministers that minister death rather than life. This morning, before I left my office, I went to the brazen labor. I saw my reflection in the word of God. And, um. You know, I went to bed. I was right with God. I got up and I saw my reflection. It was made of brass, meaning I saw myself the way God sees me. And then I washed and I got clean and I said, Lord, I want to be right. And the Lord revealed some hidden sins that sort of crept into my soul. I didn't even know they were there. And we need to do that every day, sir. Ma'am, before you teach, before you sing, before you greet people, before you set up the stuff, we got a ton of stuff to set up, before you do whatever it is that you do, you've got to get clean. You've got to look in the mirror, see the reflection from God's word. You've got to see that, that brass, that element that shows myself under condemnation before God, And then I've got to wash and get clean. That's what this is all about. It was the most used piece of furniture in all the tabernacle. And it speaks of us coming to the Lord continuously over and 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 over over again. We come to the Lord and we get clean. We get washed up. And how does that happen today? Well, you just open this book. And you dive in. You need to do it. You need to read it and read it and read it again. What does it do? It shows you who you are before God and allows you to get clean before our great Savior. His reflection, the Word of God, its reflection reveals our sins. The brass judges my sin and the water cleanses me from sin. Now, we've talked about the placement. It's it's in between the table of showbread and the menorah and the, and the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the, the door and the, the sacrificial altar. It's kind of right there in the middle. Easy access for everyone to come to, and come they would. But there's something very interesting. In Exodus 29 and verse number 4, just jot that in your notes. Let me bring it up to here on the board and let me show you. And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring to the door... Of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall wash them with water. Now, this isn't the priest coming and washing his right hand first and his his right foot. This is different. This is that initiating washing that happened one day on the very first day of the priest working. So, when a priest would come, he would come, and uh, he it's his first day on the job. He need to be, needed to be initiated. We do this in all sorts of things. And they would remove his, his regular clothes and the other priests would come, they would wash him. And then they would put on him his new priest clothes. And now he would minister before the Lord. That's exactly what would happen. Now that only would happen once. It would happen at the door of the tabernacle. You know what that is? It's a picture of salvation. See, when I got saved, when I entered into Christ, I was washed from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. I was purified completely. That only happened once. Now, daily, I come to the second step, and I wash, and I just get my hands and my feet clean. I don't need to be washed completely all over again. Titus 3 and verse number 5, the Bible says uh, about the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Regeneration. What in the world is regeneration? It's when you're saved. It's talking about being born again. Now, let me tell you something about the tabernacle we haven't talked about. We've talked about all the elaborate veil and the coverings, the silver and the gold. We've talked a little bit about the brass. It's very cool but there's something very very significant missing it's the floor there was no floor in the tabernacle there was no wooden boards there was no gold or silver they didn't even bring in gravel it was just the dirty dusty desert floor so what do you think would happen as they're sacrificing these lambs? What do you think would happen as they're doing all this work? Their hands are going to get bloody. Their feet are going to get dusty. They've got to come back and get clean. Now, are those priests in the tabernacle? Sure, they're right there in the tabernacle. Let me ask you, are you saved? Are you in Christ? The Bible says... Then if any man be in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. We are in Christ. Those of us that are saved, do you ever get dirty? You know, it doesn't, it's amazing. You you can't really even open an email or go to the grocery store or, you know, buy this at this little convenience store without getting defiled. You see that, and you're like, wow. And you walk past these people and you hear this, blah, blah, blah. What's going on? We are in Christ, but we're still in the world. Just like those Old Testament priests were in the sanctuary, but they were still walking on the earth. They were still walking on that desert, dusty, dirty floor. And you, this week, you're going to go to work, you're going to drive, And you're driving, of course, in D.C., of course, people are going to give you certain sign language and yell. And you're like, well, well, I'm just living. I'm just existing here. Why why do I need that? You're going to go into work and they're going to go blah, 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 blah. And, And all of these thoughts and all this junk. And you're like, what happened? I thought I'm saved and thought I'm in Christ. You are in Christ. But you're walking around still on this earth. You're in Christ but you're still on this dirty, dusty road. Now, all of this, and I'm going to give you one last big major scripture here, and then we'll be done. Look at John 13. The book of John chapter 13 is <laughs> amazing. This just gives so much insight. You're going to love this. Now, John chapter number 13 is that last Passover meal that Jesus has with his uh, disciples. That evening, Jesus will be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the next day he's going to die, and that is exactly the Passover day. But in John chapter number 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover. So this is the day before. This is what's called the preparation of the feast. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Verse number 4. He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And here Peter's like, Lord, I'm a fisherman. I'm a rugged dude. And you're you're not going to come wash my feet. Now, Peter didn't want God or the Lord to wash his feet, but he should have. Because he's about ready to put them in his mouth. I'm telling you that right now. Okay, let's watch Peter. You know how Peter does. Verse number seven, Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Jesus is saying, "You're not going to fully understand this, but you're going to you're going to get it later." Peter saith unto him, "Thou shalt never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, "If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me." Simon Peter saith unto him, "Let me pause there in verse number eight. Jump back to verse number eight. Now this is not saying, Peter, you have no relationship with me. That that's impossible because." Peter already had a well-established relationship with the Lord. What he's saying is, from here on out, there's there's going to be a separation. There's going to be a problem. Look at verse number 9. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed, Needeth not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, And ye are clean, but not all. He says, well, once you've been washed, and you know what he's talking about? That initiating wash. Once you've been saved. Once you've been made my disciple. You don't need to go back and get saved again. He's saying, once you've been saved. And, and you guys are saved, except for one of you is not saved. Once of you is, one of you is not saved or washed. Of course, he's talking about Judas. Verse number 11. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, ye are not all clean." So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, he was set down again, and he saith unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. And here Jesus is acting out what was done in the Old Testament tabernacle and was done almost daily in everybody's houses. See, they didn't have hot and cold running water in the houses. Maybe the most wealthy people would have, but most everybody didn't have that. They carried water in, in little jars and buckets and basins. But they did have hot and cold wa- running water at the bath houses. So people would go down and have a bath, and then they would go back home. And when they would get home, if they were very, very wealthy, a servant would come, and a servant would have servant's attire. <clears throat> and that is what Jesus did there. He laid aside his garment, and he took off his, his coat of significance and laid that aside. Then he took the garment of a servant, which was a towel, and he girded himself. And the Bible says that he really became a servant for you and me. Christ became a servant for you and me. And he, he put on that garment just like a servant would have uh, ministering at the front door of a house. And that, that wealthy person would come, and the servant would have a little basin there. And they, that servant would get down and take that basin and begin to wash that man's feet. Now, he didn't need to wash his whole body. He just came from the bathhouse. He's clean. But he just, in sandals, walked on those dirty streets, and he needed to get his feet clean. And they would do that right there at that front door. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what he's asking you and I to do. Now, wait a minute. Is Jesus asking us to put on servant's attire, like a towel, like he did, and get some water and wash everybody's feet? No, like many things in scripture, this is just a picture. God wants us to forgive each other. That's what this is about. So you know what? I need somebody to wash my feet and you need somebody to wash your feet. What do you mean? It's talking about forgiving one another. The Bible says in Psalms 119, verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to what? Thy word. It's the water of the word of God. It's not just intellectual. It purifies your soul. It gets you right with the Creator and with each other. In Ephesians 4, in verse number 32, it says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, and let's say it together, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We are to forgive one another. We're not to hold grudges. We are to come and wash each other's feet. You know, foot washing is kind of a weird thing. If I was to come here to Luke and I said, you know, by uh, way of illustration, I want to wash your feet. Immediately, he would think, probably just like you, are my feet clean? Are my socks clean? Do I have any holes in my socks? (laughs) Because we don't want to show our dirt to anybody. We want to look clean. We want to be clean. And really, that's that's not what it's about. We all should clean our feet so that we can ceremoniously wash each other's feet. And, and that's sort of an argument that this is a show of humility in the church. But humility is never humility when it's a show. As soon as you begin to display it, it's no longer humility. It's kind of like the pastor that asked a young man, what are you um, most proud about? He said, my humility. Okay. All right. God wants us clean. How do I get clean? With the water of the word. How do you get clean? You look in the mirror, you see yourself, you make a judgment call with the brass, and then you get clean with the water of the word. And we help each other by forgiving one another, by working with each other. 1 John 1 and verse number 9. You know this verse. You can read it off the screen if you need a little help. Let's say it together. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse. That's the key word. And you've got to confess your sin. You can't hide your feet, You can't hide your dirty feet. When Jesus comes and he's like a servant and he wants to help you, you can't hide it. You've got to come to him. You've got to say, Lord, I need your help. I need to be clean again. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. You got your feet dirty and you're like, why am I always getting dirty? And my friend, the answer is you're still in this world. You're serving God. And you're going to have this thought. You're going to have this thing. And your hands are going to and your feet. And you're like, I'm doing the work. Yes, that's what the brazen labor is for. You see, you judge, and you get clean. See, dirty hands and dirty feet minister death. If I came to you with unconfessed sins in my heart and I preached and maybe I preached and I quoted all these verses and I did all this stuff. I would not minister life, but I would minister death with perfect theology. You, whatever you do for the Lord, if you have known sin and you're doing things for Christ, it doesn't matter how professional you are, how exact you are, well-spoken, well-mannered, well-dressed, well, whatever it is. If your heart is dry, you minister death. Psalm 24 is a great psalm. Verses 3 and 4 say, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place. And verse 4 is the answer. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. We've come to the end. You've been given the example of the word of God that's a mirror to see. It's brass to judge and it's water to clean. And with this in mind, don't allow any other thoughts in your head. The most important element is right now. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, would you stand with me? And begin to pray and ask God. To reveal known sin. To show you where you're wrong. Then agree with him, just like you agreed with your mirror. You didn't punch your mirror. You didn't turn out the lights. You went, oh my goodness. That needs to be fixed. This needs to be changed. This isn't right. That's what you need to do morally right now. God wants to get close to you. But he can't get close to me, to us. As we are living in known sin. That's what the brazen lavers for. It's to be purified, to be clean, to be right with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never repented of your sin and trusted Christ. You're kind of doing the other thing. You're asking God to just accept you in your sin. The Bible way is to agree with God and not try to get God to agree with you. So right where you're at in the personal space of your own heart, would you pray something like this, God? I agree with you. This is a sin. This is a sin. This is a sin. And it's wrong. And I stand judged, condemned by you because of this sin that I'm involved with. And God, would you save me? I'm not coming on my own merit. I'm coming in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Pray that in your heart. God, save me. "'God save me.' "'Oh, He will, my friend. "'God is everything He claims to be and more.' "'Oh, and love the Word.' (laughs) love the Word. "'Say, God, I need you every hour. "'You're the food and nutrition that I need. "'You're the light for my path. "'You're the water for my purification.' I need you, oh God, work in my heart. God, help me to follow you into freedom. Lord, I denounce and renounce my sin and I choose distinctively to walk according to your word and to follow you all the days of my life. So help me God, oh Father,
0: help me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Graceway DC. If you find yourself in the DC area on a Sunday or Thursday, we'd love to see you in person for one of our church services. If you'd like more information about Graceway Baptist Church, visit gracewaydc.com to connect or discover what you're looking for. It's been great having you with us. We hope to see you next time on Graceway DC.